this morning we have a great treat. We get to hear from Darren Prince. Uh, Darren is one of our supported missionaries, and we came to know about him when one of the young ladies in our church found him, uh, found him, and uh, you know introduced us to him. And uh, so Darren and Pam uh, married about ten years ago. I'm, I'm not exactly. Uh, precise, but uh, they were working out in San Francisco with an outreach to the homeless for a number of years, and then a few years back, uh, they felt the Lord calling them to move to a new location, and there, uh, after prayer and investigation, they've been working uh, with unreached people in London, and uh, so they're, they're missionaries, and uh, Pam, uh, Darren is going to bring the word of God to us from the book of Luke, so Darren, will you come and share with us? I'm going to move this over. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you on a slightly smaller stage here. A little run into the wall back here. Um, It's great. It's good to see all your faces. Wonderful to worship with you all. Um, Seth was saying, we moved to London about three years ago. And you probably think, wait a minute, unreached people in London? What's that all about? That, That doesn't sound right. We, uh, we moved into East London, which is a neighborhood that's been classically kind of full of immigrants for a long, long time, and in the last 30 years has had a real influx of Muslims from the country of Bangladesh. Um, and also, there's a growing population of Somalis in our neighborhood, too. So we're in one of those great situations where we moved to a city like London, but actually the world is kind of arriving at our doorstep. And we have moved my family, three kids, a seven-year-old, five-year-old, and a one-and-a-half-year-old who was born over there. Um, we moved into basically a flat in what would be the projects, uh, public housing, um, but we're renting from a, a Bangladeshi family that lived there for 20 years before they moved out, and this weird American family moved in. Um, and uh, the area that we're in is kind of 70% um, social housing, so 70% government-built housing that was kind of built right after the world, uh, world War II, when Germany bombed really heavily through the area. This housing was built in a hurry, and it's kind of been the immigrant, poor east end of London ever since. Um, if you get a chance to come over, we'll walk you through and kind of show you what we're up to. But um, it's this really crazy place. We live in this. We live in a flat that's pretty small. Our neighbors speak a bunch of different languages. There's seven. Uh, let's see. At our kids' school, there's 40 different languages spoken just by the families that that have their kids there at that school and. We've got this wonderful kind of weird mix of neighborhood ministry with exchanging cookies for curry upstairs with the neighbors. And, um, you know, Pam's got a great thing going with single moms down the street and around us um, as they raise their kids in this complex urban environment. So it's really just kind of a fascinating place. I'll tell you, it's, it's right at the edge of where God is at work, I think, because the global population, I don't know if you know this, but recently it was studied, the global population is increasing at the rate of 1.2%. Urban growth is increasing, however, at 2%. And urban growth in poor areas or slum areas around the world is increasing at the rate of 3.4%. So the world is increasingly moving to cities, and in many of those areas, increasingly moving to the poor parts of those cities. So we, we kind of set up camp there, and, and that's, that's where life and home is for us. We're doing, we're doing great. We're really loving it, and we're thankful for the partnership of this church in what we're doing. Uh, you know, it would be really tempting for me to come up. I was thinking about showing a few slides and telling missionary stories and kind of being the big kind of heroic, doing the big heroic missionary thing. And um, I, don't, I don't want to go that way. And I think the reason why is because as we look at Scripture, 
all of us are called to be missionaries in whatever context we're in. And, and the question that I want to ask today is how can we get involved in what God is doing right here in the South Shore and around the world? Well, our question should be, Lord, what are you doing around the world and how do I join in with it? In whatever capacity that is for you, whatever it looks like for me, how, what, God, what are you doing around the world? How do we join in? How do we join in with that? It's my assumption that God is up to something. He is about rescuing for himself people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. And we get to be a part of that in some miraculous way. And we want to find out what is it, God, that you're doing and how can we partner in that. So, um, so let's dive into that. And before we do that, let me just pray for us. Um, Lord, we are amazed by your plan. We're thankful for your son Jesus, that he died and that he rose again. Lord, would you show us in Scripture today um, the way that we can communicate that good news to the many around us, right here in our home and around the world. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I read about this in the magazine flying over here a few days ago. I don't know if you've heard about this guy. He's an artist in New York City named Jason Poland. And um, now I like popcorn, but he loved popcorn so much that he popped a microwave bag full of it and then cataloged by drawing each individual piece of that entire bag of popcorn. And I just thought, now that takes it to a whole new level. That's, that's pretty amazing attention to detail. His next project, believe it or not, is actually to draw every single person living in New York City. Now, I have no idea how he plans to accomplish that. It'll probably take him years and years. But apparently people, you know, they've heard about it, so they want to go have their picture drawn. They want to you know, or, or he'll, he might not even ask permission. He might just draw you if he sees you walking down the street. But here's a person who's got this plan to draw every single person in New York City, uh, which is probably a little more exciting than pieces of popcorn. Um, that might sound like a weird kind of image, but it struck me that, wow, I had no idea that that was going on, that somebody would, would have this plan and be about this plan. And it's very similar to me. I'm going to give you a true confession now as a, as a missionary of this church. Um, for the longest time, even though I had signed up for missions when I was 21, 22 years old, I don't think I was fully aware of God's full plan of redemption on earth. I don't think I had the slightest clue that, that he was up to something so much bigger than what I imagined. I just wanted to sign up to do some good in the world, uh, maybe see a few people saved. And as I slowly get into it, I start to realize, wow, God has this amazing, incredible plan. So let me, I want to I give you a glimpse of what that looks like in just a one text narrative here. And that's in Luke 24. If you can open in your pew Bibles, it's page 1047. Luke 24, uh, starting in verse 13. We're going to look at the road, the story of the road to Emmaus. And before we do that, just to keep God's ultimate glory-filled plan in mind, I'm going to flash forward just a little bit. So you can keep your finger there. If you'd like to turn with me, you can to Revelation 5. I'm just going to read you this text because I think it's great to kind of start with the end in mind and get a big picture of what is it that God's up to in the ultimate scene. Okay, so I know you guys have been through Revelation recently. I'm going to read something from chapter 5 of Revelation. Keep your thumb there in Luke 24. It says, I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. This is Revelation 5, verse 6. Standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, 
Um, then I'm going to move forward to verse 9. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So that's the end picture in mind. I want us to keep that and kind of hold that in mind. I want us to go away this morning and from this whole week of focusing on this missions conference. As you participate in the different events and hear from missionaries, we want to ask, God, how can I join in on what you're doing to call for yourself a people from every nation, tongue, and tribe here on this earth? Okay, that's what I want us to ask. So as we look at Luke 24, um, starting in uh, verse 13, I'm just going to read us all the way through, and I want us to pay attention to the following things. I want to let's look at what happens, let's look at how it happens, and then let's look at who does it. I think that's really important. So we're going to talk about missions and missionaries and all this work, but right here we get a great sample, and I want us to be on the lookout for what happens, how does it happen, and who does the work. Okay. I'm just going to read us all the way through. It's kind of a long story, but it's a beautiful one. Luke 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they had talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, what they're talking about had happened was just days before the death of Jesus Christ had happened, and there were these strange rumors about the resurrection. You're about to see that. So in verse 17, he asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along the road? And they stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and all the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, in the third day, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but, they did not, but him they did not see. And he said to them, How foolish you are! How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken! Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus asked, acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. But their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, and there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together 
and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. It's an amazing story, isn't it? Let's talk first about what happens. And I'm going to do that in an unusual way. I'm going to start with the ending and then kind of look backwards. So look there at verse 30. Um, God, uh, there's something unusual here. It's when he's at the table with them, he, he took the bread, this is verse 30, and he blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? while he opened up to us the scriptures. So what happens is their spiritual eyes are given faith. They realize who they've been with. Suddenly they connect all the dots. They're able to see reality for what it is. Before it was just kind of a loose connection of stories and events and, and they were trying to, and some mixed up political views about who the Messiah was going to be and what he was going to do. And then all of a sudden, as if in an instant, they believe. And they kind of look at each other and they say, were, were you feeling that? Did you... Were your hearts not, I mean, my, my heart was doing this weird thing as I was listening to that whole story. Were you feeling that too? This is kind of amazing. And by the way, a little side note, look at their immediate response. I love in verse 33 that their first thing is just to get up and run back another seven miles all the way back to Jerusalem to tell people it's true. He's risen. So suddenly they see, this is what happens. They see and they, and they believe and it compels them into action and into response. Have you had that? That's kind of the foundational point. That's the starting point for all of this talk about mission and joining in with God and God's mission and what our role is, is having our eyes illuminated, our eyes opened in faith to what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Has that happened for you? So let's look back at the passage now. Let's talk about how it happened. Okay, how did it come about that these guys who would have probably, they weren't the close disciples, they probably weren't the 12, but they were in the crowd that had kind of followed Jesus' ministry and tracked a little bit, had seen enough to know what was going on, and they were aware of the events of the weekend. Um, and we have a nice little clue into how it happened in verse 32. Look at this. Were not our hearts burning within us as he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So whatever sets this fire ablaze in their hearts and opens their eyes, I think it's got these two things. Number one, he talks with them on the road. He joins in on the journey that they're on. And number two, he opens scriptures to them. So now let me back up just a little bit. This is, um, this is verse 13 of chapter 24. We're just going to walk our way through the text now. On that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, at about seven miles from Jerusalem, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and they talked and discussed these things with each other. As they did that, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So let me just set the scene a little bit. He's, they're, they're confused. Uh, they're, they're leaving Jerusalem. It's been a really weird weekend. They're probably headed back home after celebrating Passover, and they are just trying to figure out between the two of them what's happened. Um, they're a little bit disappointed. They're maybe even a little frustrated. Um, they had hopes for what the Messiah would do, and, and then he was killed. And um, they're, just, they're discouraged. So um, they're, they're trying to process it all. And um, what I love about Luke as a writer is he goes out of his way to talk about how much they're walking. They're on a journey. And that's actually a, a theme all through the Gospel of Luke, is people walking, people moving um, on a journey. 
And um, here, these guys are joined by Jesus in his resurrected glory, um, but their eyes are kept from, from seeing, from recognizing him. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on that in just a little bit. But don't miss this. This is kind of missionary 101. And I think it's true for you, and it's true for me, even, even in London and, and around the world. Um, Jesus shows up on the road and walks their journey with them. Did you catch that? Um, I don't know if this is, um, I don't know if this is meant to be a missionary 101 sort of text, but I think it's a practice that's really worth emulating because here is Jesus joining in the, the everyday life and journey of what they're about. He doesn't try to woo them in with a, an attractive program or an amazing church facility. Um, he goes down the road that they're already walking on and he joins in with them. And a lot of times, we as Christians are pretty good, aren't we, at um, trying to develop, you know, we'll, we'll build a coffee house and then try to get people to come to it when people are very happy, thank you very much, hanging out in their own coffee shops. And we ought to just sort of infiltrate those. Isn't that true? Um, we'll, we'll develop a fantastic um, rock concert and try to get people to come. And this is not, I'm not kind of against any of these programs, but what happens is we forget that one of the most basic missionary practices is moving into the turf, the home turf, the everyday patterns of the people around us. This is what Jesus does here. He joins them on the road. And I love that little practice. And it makes me wonder, where, where could you, in your everyday life, just make sure that you stay in regular contact and proximity with people who don't know the Lord? Have you as a Christian slowly started to pull back and insulate yourself away from people who don't know him, just by the way that you kind of go about your day and your week. Jesus um, comes up alongside them. I, and I can, I can say truly, I would never know some of my Muslim neighbor um, friend, who had become friends if I had stayed in my kind of bubble in, in Southern California and, and just kind of pursued a, a normal life. Um, God sent us out of a sense of calling and direction and, instead, and so we moved, and we move our family in, and we live in this building where we're kind of right by the dumpster where everybody takes out their trash. And you know what? It's an opportunity to see people as they walk by every day and take their trash. You know, we kind of say hello. So it's a great little place, and that's our little spot along the road where we get to meet people um, who live right around us. And I know you've got that for yourself, too, but you have to be on the lookout for it. So this is Jesus who goes after his sheep. He doesn't just wait at the fold for them to come back. He goes out to the road. And he starts asking questions. That's, that's my next little point about this. What does he do? Um, he doesn't just connect with them in their life, in their road. Um, does, he, does he launch into a sermon? Take a look. He engages with questions, doesn't he? He says, hey, tell me, tell me what you guys are talking about. This is in verse 17. And it stops them dead in their tracks. They have to just stop and kind of, and, and, they, and they stand still and their faces are downcast. You see what he does here? He gives them a chance to engage with him and what matters most for them. They get to kind of talk through what's really on their minds. So as you move into a neighborhood, as you infiltrate the common places of the people around you here, even on the South Shore, you begin to engage in conversations. Um, you know, you ask yourself, where, where are the places around us where you can connect? Moms, what are the playgroups where, where moms are bringing their kids? How can you get involved in your kid's school so that you're rubbing shoulders with, with other parents in the area? Um, how can you, on a regular basis, um, take that same level of, 
of missionary fervor and diligence into places where you can engage with culture and people? And then how can you ask questions that get people talking about what's really on their minds? What are the things that they're wrestling with? Um, as you engage in business, as you order the coffee at the coffee shop and the person behind the counter um, greets you every day, what are they thinking about? What are they asking about? It's a very simple, I love Jesus' approach in Luke 24 because he just says, I mean, he knows intimately what happened over the weekend. But he says, what are you guys talking about? Huh, what, what, what things? Tell me some more. And he gets them to explain it. So um, look, at the, look at the response that he gets back. Um, this is in verse 19. Um, it surfaces for them their limited view or their, their insufficient view of what's happened over the weekend. Well, it's about Jesus of Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. So already he's clued into the fact that they, just, they really just kind of saw him as a prophet, and that's about it. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place, and some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that, he had seen a vision of, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive, and then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So, so they think Jesus is a prophet. They think he was going to liberate Israel, and they're probably a little bit disappointed because I think they were thinking at a political level, this is finally our chance to get out from underneath Rome. You know, Roman occupiers, this is our land, we need to get them out, and here's the Messiah. Even, even people who might have spent time with Jesus thought he had a different plan. They hadn't connected the dots on God's amazing redemptive story, which was going to use Jesus in his death. So, so let me say it this way. Um, an in, insufficient understanding of the gospel it produces false expectations, doesn't it? And those false expectations only lead to disappointment and despair. I've got a friend who likes to put it this way. When you start to put a shirt on and you get one button wrong, all the rest of the buttons end up wrong too. They start with an insufficient view of who Jesus is and what the gospel is. And this is so true for many of our friends and neighbors around the world. And it produces expectations that are misaligned. And that only magnifies their sense of disappointment. We need to surface those kinds of encounters and engagements as we join people on their journey and ask them these deep questions. In the context of patient, listening dialogue, Jesus sets the record straight. Look at verse 25. He says to them, How foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory. And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So he clarifies the purpose of the gospel. He says the Messiah came to suffer. That's the whole point. It wasn't liberation. It wasn't um, you know, feeding the poor just to do good. It was to suffer and die on your behalf. And then suddenly he takes scripture. And this is what I love. This is what shows you that amazing plan that God's been up to since the beginning that starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation with that passage that I just talked, uh, read to you of uh, the nations glorifying and worshiping God. Um, I wonder if you turned to the story of the lamb being sacrificed at Passover and the blood being painted over the doorway 
and said, you know what, that was me. I wonder if he mentioned the kind of obscure story about the bronze serpent being lifted up on the pole out in the desert for the Israelites, and everyone who looked at it would be saved and would, and would live. I wonder if he pointed to that and said, that, that was me, that was, that was a picture of me suffering and dying so that you could live. How amazing, what a, an amazing Bible study that would have been, to be walking down the road, just listening to Jesus pull out these stories and that point to him along the way. You know, when you were worshiping, singing Psalm 22 in your, in your hymn book, he probably said to them, when it said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was about me. That was me on the cross crying out to my father. What an amazing, amazing Bible study that would have been along the road to Emmaus. You know, right now I'm reading to my kids um, just a great, uh, it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. I don't know if you've heard of this or seen this, but um, it is just a great picture book that tells the story of the Bible. And the subtitle of this great little storybook is Every Story Whispers His Name. And literally at the end of every Bible story, whether it's Noah or Jonah or um, the Israelites crossing the Red Sea, it tells some kind of, it just gives you a little hook that points to the fact that one day Jesus would come as the rescuer for all mankind. It's just, and I mean, I read it to my kids and I weep. It's just, you know, I, it's just a really moving way to look at Scripture. And I, I imagine that's kind of what Jesus did with these disciples as they walked along the road. Every story whispers his name, the whole of Scripture from beginning to end. So let me ask, are we, are we prepared to do that? If you're going to enter into dialogue on people's home turf and engage them in questions about, hey, what is it that's on your mind? What are you guys talking about? And then start to clarify their understanding of who Jesus is and what the gospel is. Are you prepared? Do, are we prepared? And this is a challenge to me, too. Do I know the whole of Scripture, the, the whole narrative of God's redemptive plan? in the Bible, enough to be able to to articulate that and to share it along the way. That's a real challenge, to read our Bibles, continually pointing towards Jesus as the Redeemer, the Rescuer. Okay, so now we know what happened. We know a little bit of how it happened. And uh, let's continue further on in the text. In verse 28, I love this. As they approach the village, you know, they're hooked. (laughs) Jesus asked, you know, he acted as if he was going farther, which, by the way, is a great kind of cultural cue um, in, in that cultural context. Jesus wasn't trying to deceive them by pretending he was going to keep going. But in that, in that cultural context in that day, you know, if you were with someone, you'd kind of do the, well, I think I better be going now. You know, it's been great talking to you. I, I, better, I better keep going on. I'm going to keep walking to the next town. And that would be an invitation for the other person to say, no, 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 stay, come on in, come into our house, we'd love to have you, stay for dinner, stay longer. So Jesus does the great cultural custom there. And they invite him in, and he goes in to stay with them. And when he's at the table with them, he takes bread, he gives thanks, he breaks it, and he begins to give it, he begins to, give it to them. And then their eyes are opened, and they recognize him, and he disappears from their sight. I think this is another goal of any great missionary, and it could be your goal too. Uh, you don't have to be a superhero. This is about entering into relationship and dialogue with someone, clarifying their understanding of who Jesus is, and then being ready for that invitation to go a little bit deeper. Hey, can you guys come over for dinner? We want to talk some more. Um, you know, let's, let's spend some time together over the weekend. We'd love to just kind of hear more of how this works for you guys and your family. 
Um, so Jesus moves in to an either uh, more intimate level along the way. He's, he journeys with them, and then he spends time with them in their home. He breaks bread. And that's one of those things that, that causes them to recognize him for who he is. It's just um, that, that presence as he breaks bread, as he gives thanks. Suddenly their eyes are open. They, it, all, the, all the dots are connected, and they can see it. So we, Jesus, we see Jesus reveal himself both in presence and in proclamation. And that's, that's really important. He moves in and he gains proximity. And that's kind of what we did. We moved over an ocean, moved into a neighborhood um, to get to know people who might not have heard any other way. But it was about proximity just to even encounter moments like this. But after proximity, we, we need to move into a, a place of proclaiming, proclamation, telling people the truth about the gospel. And then over time, just as in presence, how do we spend time with people? How do we um, share food with them across the table and just share life on life what the gospel is all about? Okay, last one. What, what is God's role in all this? You know, so we're going to look at what happens and how it happens, but then let's look at who does it. This is really intriguing to me. Look at verse 16 and compare it to verse 31. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, verse 16, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, it doesn't say they didn't recognize him. It said they were kept from recognizing him. This is a divine passive verb here. It's actually somehow their eyes aren't open yet. They're prevented from being able to see. And then look at verse 31. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. You guys, it's, it's God's work. It's his mission. We participate in it. Does this mean that somehow we don't bother because, well, if God's going to open their eyes arbitrarily, then we don't need to even be involved? I don't think so at all. He still uses his son, both in death and resurrection, and then in proclamation and presence along the road to Emmaus. He still uses Jesus, and he still uses us. But it's God's work. And I tell you, that is so freeing for me when I get stuck on my methodology or you know, maybe I'm not doing it right, or maybe somehow we messed up along the way. No, this is God at work, and it makes us dependent on praying earnestly, God, would you open the eyes of faith of our neighbors and our friends? And I know some of you know that. I've talked with you in the last few days. You're praying that for your kids. Some of you have adult kids who are just, Lord, please open their eyes of faith. Or you're praying that for your neighbors, for the people that you encounter along the way. And I pray it for the people that I encounter in my neighborhood, too. This is God's work, so we join in by offering both um, presence with our neighbors and our friends and by being ready to proclaim uh, the truth about him. So the theme verse for the, the conference, which I'm going to sort of unleash on you for the week and hope you sort of dive in, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Jesus says this, as the Father sent me, so I send you. So how, let's trace that now through our text here in Luke. God sends his Son to die on earth. Resurrected, he appears to Cleopas and the other disciple on the road. Their eyes are opened through the breaking of the bread and the teaching of scriptures. And what do they do? They turn around and run back to Jerusalem and tell people, they confirm, he's risen. We've seen him. He's appeared to Simon. As I've been sent, so I send you. 
So what's our response? It could be several things. Have our eyes been opened in faith? Perhaps you are, you're here today and, and God's grace and mercy are alive and at work in, in you, on your heart, in opening your eyes to his salvation plan. Uh, a, couple, a couple questions for you as well. Are you regularly seeking out places to engage unbelievers on, on their turf? Maybe even going outside your comfort zone. Do we understand the whole of Scripture enough to explain it to someone when the time is right? Can we tell that whole narrative? Can we start with Moses and the prophets and walk people through? And last one, do we pray and trust God to open spiritual eyes in his timing for his glory? Do we expect that? Do we turn that back to God and say, God, you do the work of opening eyes and causing hearts to catch on fire for you? That's our work in London. That's your work here on the South Shore and around the world. Let's partner in that for God's glory, for the sake of his name. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for inviting us into your story, for saving us through your son, through his death on the cross. I pray for your people here in Hingham and on the South Shore that you would um, cause us to stir up an awareness of your name that makes you famous, that brings you glory. Lord, it helps to engage neighbors and friends on their turf to ask penetrating questions that draw out conversations about you. And Lord, in the midst of that, would you give us knowledge of your truth and your gospel that we could communicate through our presence with our friends. I pray your blessing on these people. And this week, as we engage mission and missionality, Lord, would your name be glorified. Amen.